Alrighty, so as Sam said, uh, this term, we've been thinking about the Bible kind of like a series of episodes as a part of one story. And the good news is, just like Netflix is doing these days, God has already released all of the episodes to the greatest story ever told. This story is the story of Jesus Christ and how he has come to offer salvation to the world. Uh, Each week we've been zooming in on a section of the Bible and looking at a particular theme called the kingdom of God. And that can be defined as, on the slide, God's people in God's place under God's rule. Is there slides with words on them? Before this one. Yeah, beautiful. All right. Uh, So in episode one, next slide, uh, we saw that God's people were Adam and Eve, God's place was the garden, and God's rule was perfect relationships. And we saw everything working in harmony the way it was meant to be. In episode two, next slide, we saw that all perish as humanity disobeyed God. And so God's people were kind of no one. Their place was kind of nowhere because they'd been kicked out of the garden. And God's rule was disobedience and curse. Last week in episode three, uh, we saw that God made the blob promises to Abraham and his descendants. So those blob promises stand for blessing to Abraham's family, land, offspring, that uh, the Israelites would become a great nation, and that God would bless the world through Abraham's descendants. Uh, Today, we are going to look at episode four, which is called the partial kingdom. And we're going to see some of those blob promises fulfilled, but not all of them. They're only going to be partially fulfilled. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us to have um, open hearts and open ears tonight. And we pray that uh, you would speak to us through your word and that we might uh, learn something or be challenged by something uh, to put it into practice this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the strong amen. Uh, Well, I read an article this week uh, by some people at Harvard so it must be true because they're super smart people. Uh, And this article was called, Why Are Young People So Miserable? They recently ran a study over at Harvard and they asked a whole different range of people from all different ages a few questions. They asked them about their health and their um, purpose in life and things like that. And young people consistently rated their own happiness, health, meaning, relationships, and financial stability as lower than any other age group did. Now, this article didn't give a clear answer to the question as to why young people are so miserable, Um, but I have noticed that there seems to be a little bit of this miserableness going around. I wonder if anyone can relate. Now, I'm not talking about life being miserable when they're out of chicken at KFC or out of frozen Cokes at Macca's, And I'm also not talking about the kind of suffering and heartache that comes from maybe grief or a serious depression. I'm kind of talking about that middle bit. For most of you young people who are kind of stuck figuring out what's the point of life? Who am I? What am I here for? Uh, Maybe you uh, can relate to uh, the lyrics described in the song, Numb Little Bug. Uh, The author, author, writer, musician, says, I want to see if you feel the same as me. Do you ever get a little bit tired of life? Like you're not really happy, but you don't want to die. Like you're hanging by a thread, but you've got to survive. 
Maybe you can relate to that feeling on a surface level or a deeper level. Feeling a little bit stuck, a little bit empty, a little bit numb. Well, the good news is, is that God gives us a solution in his word. And it's actually simpler than you might think. My main point for tonight, hopefully will come up on the, on the slide, is that God wants to be in the presence of his own people. God wants to be in the presence of his own people. And I believe that the solution to some of our numb feelings and our feelings of meh is that we actually need to recognize, desire, and enjoy being in God's presence. Enjoy being in relationship with him because that's where we'll find true meaning and true joy. Uh, so first of all, we're covering our next section in the Bible. So we've hopefully got a little bit of Bible books coming up. Yeah, so, so far we've covered the pattern, perished, and promised kingdoms up to Genesis. And in the next two weeks, we're covering from half of Genesis to the end of two Chronicles. So strap in. All right. Uh, last week, uh, we saw this Bible timeline, and we started with Abraham and his descendants. Uh, so we saw Abraham and Sarah get married, um, and they had Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca. They have the twins, Esau and Jacob. Um, and Jacob is the one who has 12 sons, and one of whom is Joseph. Now, Abraham's family keeps growing and growing and growing. They end up going to Egypt because of the famine. And there in Egypt, God's people keep growing and growing and growing and growing until they become a nation. So God's people in the partial kingdom is the Israelites. But Israel, the problem is, is not experiencing the blessing of living under God's rule because they're under Pharaoh's rule. They're working as slaves. They're having to work really hard and really ruthlessly. And so we kind of see the blob promises a little bit fulfilled here. We see that they've become a great nation. Abraham's family has been blessed, but they don't have their own land and they haven't been able to bless the world yet. So what God does is he saves the Israelites by a substitute, by a swap. He saves the Israelites by something taking their place. When they want to leave uh, and go to their own land, Pharaoh stubbornly refuses to let God's people go. And so as a punishment, God intervenes and says that the firstborn of every human and animal will die. However, the Israelites get a way out. If they can provide the blood of a lamb in their place, its blood will protect them from the punishment of death. Did you catch that? The blood of the lamb will protect them from death. And this is an example of what we've been talking about as the Bible as one big story. The Exodus story here is pointing us to the Jesus story. Because the blood of another lamb, a lamb that dies in the place of others is going to protect millions and billions from the punishment of death. It's the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God, through this uh, miracle, brings his people out of Egypt with his mighty hand and they travel out and they camp at the bottom of a mountain. Now, we're going to skip over God's uh, place because Sam's actually going to look at that next week because at the moment, they don't really have anywhere. They're kind of wandering around in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But we are going to look at God's rule. So I'm going to cover God's law tonight 
And Sam next week is going to cover God's king. So we're doing the partial kingdom over two weeks because there's so much to cover. Okay, we're going to turn now to Exodus chapter 19 where God tells his people why he gives them the law, what he has designed them to do. So Exodus chapter 19 says this. God's speaking uh, to Israel through Moses. Uh, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I like that uh, God calls the Israelites his treasured possession, like a precious jewel or a kid who has their favorite toy. They're God's. God wants to be in relationship with his own cherished and loved people. Now, this is the first important point about God giving the Israelites the law. And that point is that he saved them first. God saved them and then gave them the law. He didn't say to them in Egypt, oh, if you're very good slaves and you're nice to each other, then I might perhaps rescue you. No, he saves them first and then he gives them the law. It's like getting the best thing first, right? It's getting dessert before your dinner. It's someone paying your bail when you're guilty of punching a granny. And remember... The Bible is one big story. And so we see this idea all throughout the New Testament, right? Jesus saves us even when we don't deserve it. It's his grace through faith in him. And he saves us first and then in response we follow and obey. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We're not just trying to do all these good things so God will accept us. No, he accepts us first. Uh, So looking back at Exodus chapter 19, it also says in the second part there that God tells the Israelites that he gives them the law so that they can be a holy nation, a set-apart nation. Now I've told this story before, but I think it's helpful, so I'm going to use it again. Um, I want to tell you the story about a girl named Mary. Uh, Mary was from Tassie, and she was born in the 1970s. She was a pretty regular girl. She went to school, went to uni got her degree and moved from Tassie up to Sydney. Uh, So as a young person in Sydney, she did what average Sydney people tend to do on the weekends. She went to the pub, right, with a bunch of friends. So Mary and her friends, they go to the pub in Sydney and they get chatting with another group. And in particular, Mary seems to hit it off with one particular guy. They get chatting, they have a really great conversation, it gets really deep and she really, really liked this guy. But what Mary didn't know was who she was actually talking to. A little bit later, some of her friends informed her that Mary from Tassie had in fact been speaking to the Prince of Denmark. And so, it's every girl's like dream story, right? They fall in love, they get married, and Mary from Tassie becomes Crown Princess Mary of Denmark. Now, Do you think that after Mary from Tassie becomes Crown Princess Mary of Denmark, that she spent a lot of time in Sydney pubs? Of course not, 
right? It's not appropriate for her. She's a part of the royal family. She is set apart and she must reflect the appropriate behavior of a princess. In the same way, God set the Israelites apart as his chosen royal and holy nation. And that means that they must live a set-apart life. A life that is different from the place they came from in Egypt. And a life that will be different from the nations that they will encounter along the way to the promised land. They don't live like the Egyptians anymore. They went from being slaves to having a Sabbath and having rest. They went from a place where murder happened quite frequently to a place where life was protected. They are going from a place where foreigners were mistreated to a place where foreigners were sheltered. That's the purpose of God's law, to show the Israelites how to live as God's holy nation and as his treasured possession. Now, us modern people, we don't like putting rules and our blessing together. We see rules as kind of stopping us, mainly because, well, maybe not mainly, but we, we do know teachers sometimes give us boring rules, right? Like, why can't I wear whatever nail polish I want to wear? We see rules as stopping us, as preventing us, as making life lame and boring. And that applies to Christianity. Sometimes people think, oh, Christians, you know, they're not allowed to get drunk. They're so boring. Or people think, you know, Christians, they can't have sex until marriage. That's super old-fashioned. Our world says that freedom equals no rules. But God says that freedom is living under my rule. God's rules are designed to protect us and help us, help us to live the way we were meant to be. And the world works when people live this way. A few weeks ago um, at Night Church, I met a new guy there who's investigating Christianity, an older guy. And he said to me, Mickey, he said, we'll call him James. Uh, James said, Mickey, why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian just because your parents are Christians? And I got to say to him, no, James, I'm not just a Christian because my parents are Christians. And I got to share with him this. I said to him, one of the reasons that I'm a Christian is that when I look at the world and when I read the Bible, I see that when people live by the way Jesus tells them to live, the world works. Relationships are better for it. Life is better for it. Creation is better for it. People have more meaning and joy and purpose and things just work when they live the way God tells them to to. And to me, that's evidence that the Bible is the word of God because no one else could give it as good as good advice. And so that's what I got to share with him, which was super cool. God says that freedom is living under his rule and that's where you'll be the most blessed. But unfortunately, we know the Bible and we know that people, uh, the Bible is the story of people not believing God and wanting to live their own way. And when that happens, it doesn't go so well for them. So my challenge for you tonight is a challenge to change your perspective. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or a lot longer than that, or you're still figuring things out, we all struggle. We all struggle to believe that living under God's rule is good for us. We've been struggling since the Garden of Eden when the snake said to Eve, oh, God doesn't really know what's good for you. He doesn't really know the best thing. 
Maybe for some of you, you find it hard to believe that gathering um, in church as a community of God's people is good for you. Maybe you think it's a bit annoying or a bit inconvenient. Maybe you need to be challenged to think about what blessing might you be missing out on. Maybe for some of you, you might struggle with the 10th commandment, which says do not covet, do not want what other people have. And maybe that comes from a lie that you think you know what you need better than God does. Instead, maybe you need to believe what God says when he says in Matthew 6, don't worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They don't reap or sow or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Friends, look for ways to find the freedom and find the blessing of living God's way, of living under his rule. So, how does all this help us with a problem that I posed at the beginning? That that miserableness that young people are feeling today, that feeling of meh, how does this help us? Well, hopefully, tonight's overview has helped you see the lengths that God will go to to be in relationship with his people. But he can't do that perfectly and completely because of sin. There's still that separation. We didn't cover it all, but God will uh, dwell amongst his people and lead them actually in a pillar of um, fire and cloud. Then he'll be amongst them in the tabernacle, in the tent, and then later on in the temple. But there's always still that separation. Uh, By far, I think, though, the coolest way that God is amongst his people is in Emmanuel. You might have heard that word around Christmas time, Emmanuel. It's a name we call Jesus, and it means God with us. Jesus is God with us. And Jesus shows us exactly how far the God of the universe is willing to go to be with his people. He's willing to die. Jesus died for those who will come to believe in him in the past and in the future and today. But Jesus also died because he wants a relationship with you. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. The place that he took on the cross was your place. It was the death that you deserved to die. The sins that nailed him to the cross were your sins. But he went through all of that so that we could be friends again, so that he could bring us into a perfect place with him and into perfect relationship. And I just want to close with two things for you. Revelation chapter 21 describes that pure, perfect presence of God without any barriers. And I just want to read it to you because I think it's so profound. It's what heaven will be like. A loud voice in heaven says this. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying 
or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We're going to have such a perfect relationship with God that he will wipe the tears from our eyes. The old way has gone. This is what he's wanted all along, to be in perfect presence with his people. And the other thing that you can do if you're struggling with that feeling of meh, with God feeling far away, is you can dwell on these final words of Psalm 16. Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There is joy, friends, in the presence of God. There is joy in relationship with God, both now and into eternity. And when you connect with God, that joy is available to you. It's available when you read your Bible. It's available when you go out in nature. It's available when you worship, when you gather amongst God's people. That joy is available to you. So draw near. There is joy in his presence. Amen.